Today's episode is brought to you by Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It's time to get energized. The week we've all been waiting for is finally upon us. It's election time. And if more than a dozen debates, months of campaigning, and billions of dollars in TV ads make you want to pull up a seat at your favorite outdoor bar, you're not alone. We've got just the right drinks on the menu to get you through what we could expect in the days ahead. Because we've been hearing from experts that a lot could still go down between the time the polls close and when we finally have an idea of what kind of glow up the next four years has in store for us. Welcome to Skim This. First, this week the Senate confirmed the next justice to join the Supreme Court's lunch table. And there's already a lot on her plate. Then, a new study on COVID-19 antibodies is making it clear just how little we know about this disease. Then tech companies are in the hot seat again because, well, that depends on who you ask. After that, our big story dives into what could unfold after the polls close next Tuesday. It's less choose your own adventure and more of the most dramatic season ever. Then we'll leave you with some tips on how you can help grandma out at the polls and also ideas for this weekend's politics optional movie night. All right, let's do it. First up, who's got a new job this week? I, Amy Coney Barrett, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Yep, the Senate confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to serve on the Supreme Court on Monday, and she had a ceremonial swearing-in that night. No new justice has ever been confirmed to the Supreme Court this close to an election. One of the reasons that matters? Well, this election could get messy. If results are too close to call in swing states, both Republicans and Democrats could file lawsuits over how states are counting ballots. And that's where SCOTUS could play a pivotal role in deciding the outcome of the whole 2020 election. It's not even election day yet, but the Supreme Court justices have already issued three election rulings just this week. On Monday, the court rejected a request that would have allowed Wisconsin to count absentee ballots received up to six days after election day. Then, the court went in the opposite direction two days later in a ruling that allowed North Carolina to receive and count absentee ballots for up to nine days after November 3rd. And on Wednesday, the court upheld that mail-in ballots received up to three days after Election Day in Pennsylvania should still be counted, so long as they're postmarked by November 3rd. But this doesn't mean the Supremes aren't planning to revisit this down the road. Three justices said the ruling could be subject to review at a later date. Justice Barrett wasn't involved in any of these three cases, so the court's remaining eight justices had to reach a ruling on their own. In the Pennsylvania case, she said she didn't have enough time to read up on the details, but she might feel more comfortable starting to weigh in on cases soon. And whether she should get involved in 2020 election cases that reach the Supreme Court has become a super partisan issue. Republicans say there's no reason for Barrett to recuse herself. She's a regular old Supreme Court justice now. But Democrats argue it's problematic that a new justice just appointed by President Trump might have a say in an election where he's on the ballot. But that bickering is more talk than action because there's not much more anyone can do. It's entirely up to the justices themselves to choose which cases they're involved in. And now that Barrett is actually one of those nine justices, 
Nobody, not even the president, can tell her what to do. Next up, antibodies. Quick recap, antibodies are the proteins that help your body fight off infections. Earlier this year, shortly after lockdown started happening, you might remember a lot of experts from the medical community talking about antibody tests. That's because a lot of people thought, hey, if I have these antibodies, that means I'm immune. Time to go find other antibody badge-wearing friends and throw an immunity party. But now, a new study out this week by Imperial College London says that even if people test positive for COVID-19 antibodies, those antibodies significantly decline over just a few months. Let's back up for a second. So if you've been diagnosed with or thought you had been exposed to COVID-19, you could get an antibody test to further prove that and see if you developed an immune system response to fight off the infection. Like with the flu vaccine. When you get one, you're actually injected with tiny, tiny bits of the flu virus. Then, around two weeks later, your body produces the antibodies that increase your flu protection. P.S. This is your friendly reminder to get a flu shot. So, back to the study. The way it worked was that researchers sent out antibody tests to a random selection of 365,000 people across England who had volunteered to take part. Those people gave themselves finger prick tests between June and September. And over that time, positive antibody tests dropped more than 26%. That sounds like a big drop, but some scientists say it's pretty normal for antibody levels to decline once someone's recovered from an infection. Even so, this study does remind us how much we still have to learn about how COVID-19 works. Okay, so what does this actually mean? First, it could indicate that COVID-19 antibodies wear off relatively quickly. While scientists don't know the level of antibodies people need to prevent getting infected, this study could strengthen the argument that getting infected once doesn't mean you're protected from reinfection. The tests also showed that age isn't just a number and that people 75 years or older lost their antibodies the most rapidly. And considering older people are most at risk of COVID-19 already, that's not great news. So keep masking up, washing your hands, and telling everybody that you just need some space. And finally, if you ever thought it'd be cool to testify in front of Congress, a chance to share your expertise, and maybe get your photo in the news, try being the CEOs of Facebook, Google, and Twitter. They made their latest appearance in front of senators on Wednesday, and both Democrats and Republicans had their knives out. I think your response isn't just offensive, it's been defiant. You failed to take down that post. Who the hell elected you? You know you're unpopular when both sides of the aisle are frustrated with you. But it's worth noting that Republicans and Democrats were angry about different things. Republicans are saying social media companies censor conservative voices. The example they're pointing to? Recent moves by Facebook and Twitter to limit the spread of an unconfirmed story from the New York Post about Joe Biden's son, Hunter. The New York Post story in question contained Hunter Biden's unverified emails that allegedly detail a meeting he may have set up between a Ukrainian business executive and then-Vice President Joe Biden. And P.S., this story has had a hard time passing fact-checking standards. So after the New York Post hit publish, Facebook and Twitter stepped in. Facebook flagged the story for a manual fact-check review, which reduced how much it appeared on people's feeds. On Wednesday, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg defended that decision. 
saying the company had previously been warned by the FBI about the risk of illegally obtained information being published, potentially by foreign governments, near Election Day. Something called a hack and leak. Twitter went a step further. It initially blocked people from posting links to the New York Post story at all, and has frozen the New York Post Twitter account until it deletes its original tweet about the Hunter Biden story. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has since admitted blocking links from being shared was wrong. But neither Dorsey nor Zuckerberg, heard here, agreed with Senate Republicans that they were censoring info. We didn't censor the content. We flagged it for fact checkers to review. And pending that review, uh, we temporarily constrained its distribution to make sure that it didn't uh, spread wildly while um, it was being reviewed. Democrats, meanwhile, were more concerned that social media companies haven't regulated content enough. So with Democrats and Republicans wanting such different things from this hearing, did anything come out of it? Nah, not so much. That's because while what you just heard are the sound bites that made the headlines, the real battle pitting tech companies against the government is going to take longer to play out. It involves a law called Section 230, and it's at the heart of the debate about speech on the internet. That law lets companies like Twitter and Facebook avoid being legally responsible for what's posted on their platforms. Since if they could get sued for what one person might publish, the platforms wouldn't allow posting at all, which would be bad for free speech. But now a number of politicians, including President Trump and some of the senators in Wednesday's hearing, are calling to change the law or get rid of it altogether so that tech companies have to take more responsibility for their content moderation. There's a lot to skim about Section 230, and its future will matter for anyone that uses social media. But we're sure of one thing. Nothing's going to get done about reforming it in the final days before the election. And since social media companies are such a big part of the economy, don't expect any major changes to happen overnight. These days, we're all spending a lot of time in the same routines, and it's easy to get stuck in a rut. The solution, refresh and energize with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It comes in a package that's easy to pop in your bag or keep in the car. Whether you need a burst of freshness to get over the 3 p.m. slump or a way to stay energized after a workout, Mentos Pure Fresh Gum has you covered. Get a burst of freshness with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. Go to Mentos.com to find your perfect piece today. We're in the home stretch of the election. But are we actually? You've probably been seeing headlines about how this election is getting complicated and that it could take weeks or even months to know the outcome. So we wanted to take a moment to create a roadmap or a menu to help guide you through the different options of what's to come. Before we walk you through what's on the menu, though, let's start with some context. Why is this election so different? We called up election experts to find out, like Elaine K. Mark senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and the author of Primary Politics, Everything You Need to Know About How America Nominates Its Presidential Candidates. And K-Mark said, this year is different because, you guessed it, COVID-19. It's been more than a century since we had an election during a pandemic. And so people are voting in different, new and different ways. Some voting systems have changed and any change this big is going to create, you know, confusion. And one other thing that makes this year so different, the political environment. 
Mary McCord is the legal director at the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at Georgetown Law. I think the other thing that's been very different is that we are in a in a time of a very intense polarization in this country. So the circumstances are unusual this year and the stakes feel higher. Got it. Now that we have that background, let's get into what could actually go down. Imagine it's election night and we're heading to the local outdoor bar where they're serving up an old fashioned. It's a classic. You know what to expect. No matter if you're enjoying it at 8 p.m. with your friends or 2 a.m. with your leather-bound journal and all your feelings. Think of a traditional election night in the same way. The TV is on, the results come in, and a winner is declared. While it's a long night, and who hasn't had one, it's just that, one night. On typical election nights, certain traditionally red or blue states can be called early, as long as exit polls are in line with ones from years past. Others, like your traditional swing states, are the ones keeping you up late, convincing you to have that one last nightcap. But this year, making predictions early in the night about certain states will be more challenging. Because so many people have voted absentee in both red and blue states. And when those absentee ballots are actually counted depends on each state's individual election rules. But there's one big state we may be able to call on election night this year, and that's Florida. You know, the swing state often at the center of a lot of drama. Looking at you, 2000. So Florida is in the Eastern Standard Time and they start counting absentee ballots 22 days in front of election day, which means that as the votes come in in Florida on election night, we will also have a very good sample of the absentee ballots. So my guess is Florida, we're going to actually know Florida pretty soon. And if either Biden or Trump win Florida decisively, it will make both of their paths to 270 electoral votes, the threshold for election victory, a lot more possible. But if the results in Florida are too close to call, it's gonna take longer for the election to come into focus. And chances are that old fashioned won't be your last drink of the night or the week. So our next order, the spiked seltzer. It's like hydrating, but absolutely not. Consider this our drink of choice to give you some election week stamina. That's because Kmart told us some of those other swing states we talked about earlier may not be able to declare a winner for a while. The big three states that we're all watching, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, none of them start counting their absentee ballots till election day. So a vote count on election night that does not include absentee ballots since we're anticipating at least 50% of the votes this time will be absentee, um, is not going to be a very reliable count. So that's the big difference. The big difference is that the number of mail-in ballots makes it difficult to draw a good sample of the voters, and it makes it difficult and slower in counting the vote in some key states. So when are we talking about exactly? Kmark says, best case, we're looking at next Friday. And if waiting for Friday feels like a long time, unfortunately, it could get even longer, especially if vote counts are close in certain areas. What happens then? Kmark told us we may start seeing political parties filing lawsuits to recount ballots, even though it'll be pretty difficult to challenge the election results. 
if it's not close, it's going to be very, very hard to challenge this. The challenges come into play if it is literally razor thin. If you're talking about millions of votes and they're separated by 100 or 200, then the challenges get big. But if it's not close, there may be all sorts of confusion sown, but it's not likely that the courts will do anything. But you know what they say, never say never. Especially because according to one tracker, over 400 election-related lawsuits have already been filed this year. And the parties have also said, their lawyers are ready to get busy after election day. McCord says the legal process takes time and could slow down when we could see some official results. Challenging anything about the process will be expedited, of course, but that, you know, there's, there's still a process. Briefs have to be filed, argument has to be held, decisions have to be made, there's time for appeals. Okay, so we're already being told some results could take a long time. Plus, there could be lawsuits that add to the timeline. Sounds like this could take a while. And just like your spiked seltzer, if you have more than a couple, the results can sneak up on you. Which brings us to our third adult beverage, the Long Island iced tea. While we usually recommend saying no thanks to this one, sometimes it's unavoidable. The Long Island iced tea has a little bit of everything thrown in, including a headache. So hold your nose. In addition to those lawsuits we mentioned, Kmark and McCord said it's possible we could see confusion in the Electoral College, the group of people we're actually electing on election day to cast their presidential votes on our behalf. Thanks, Constitution. All of that drama wouldn't even start playing out till December and might not get resolved until the new Congress meets in January. And then there's one scenario where neither candidate actually becomes the president. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Feeling like you're seeing double? Us too. And even experts like Kmark are feeling that. We don't really have any precedent, right? It's not clear what the deal would be in this situation. It's not clear how we would get through this. We would really be in uncharted territory. So that's how things could get complicated in an official way. The uncharted territory of the law is confusing enough. But what happens if unlawful actions start occurring as well, including the potential for violence on and after Election Day? McCord told us she thinks this could happen especially since she's been tracking an uptick in the behavior of unlawful militias over the past year. These threats could come on election day itself, if certain groups try to intimidate voters at the polls or even people counting the votes. Or these groups could deploy to the streets after the election, in that in-between period we talked about when a winner isn't known. But remember, most scholars say the Second Amendment doesn't protect these groups and states are actively thinking about how to protect voters and their electoral process. I think what it's important for listeners to know is they, is they just don't have any authority to do the kind of things that they do. More attention is being brought to those. More and more state and local leaders are speaking out about not going to tolerate this type of armed intimidation at the polls or thereafter and, and are preparing for that. They need to coordinate together. They need to know exactly who to call when things happen, what to do, and they need to make sure that they're not going to make things worse, right? Let's pause for a sec. We know this last part sounds chaotic. And while these are all possibilities, remember, you already ordered your old-fashioned and your spiked seltzer. 
So there's a chance we could all hear last call before things get out of hand. K-Mark also says it's important to remember who your bartender is, aka the states. And they've been running this bar for a long time. The Constitution is very clear. It gives states the authority to run elections. And you're going to have governors and secretaries of state, and they will be calling the shots. It's in really everybody's interest, regardless of party, to assure a safe election, the ability of voters to vote unimpeded, and and if there's going to be a transition of power, a safe and secure transition of power. I mean, we transition power based on ideas and policies and voting, not based on intimidation and threats and violence. So what's the skim? This election is shaping up to be one of the most complicated in recent history. So here's what you should look out for in the next few weeks. On election night itself, kick back with a classic cocktail. But remember, while we may get some quick results from important states like Florida and New Hampshire, some of the big swing states that will help decide the election could take a while, maybe even days to count their votes. K-Mark's recommendation? Yeah, sure, on election night, you can watch a little bit of cable news, but don't stay up late. Things might get clearer after election day, especially as results start getting counted in battleground states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. But just because we have more info doesn't mean it's all smooth sailing, because Dems and Republicans may start filing time-consuming lawsuits in states where the vote count is close. As for those other scenarios we talked about, that's when the election hangover could get real. But while this election could have some weird endings, McCord says it's also one that's shown the strength of America's voters. We've seen the resiliency of voters in the face of all of these things happening, including a pandemic, we're seeing voting in numbers that, you know, we haven't seen in recent history. So I think that shows the resilience of the American public and and people just, you know, need to remember that. Next week is a big week. The skim will be with you every step of the way to help you make sense of the election results, including with the skim this special next Wednesday. Until then, head on over to theskim.com slash 2020. And don't forget to hydrate. Speaking of unforeseen factors and this year's election, we've already heard about people waiting for hours to cast their ballots. But we're also seeing people get serious about voting plans. They could stand out there for 15 hours. I got my chip. They could stand out there for 24 hours. I got my snacks. That's Belinda Varnado, a voter in Texas who went viral on TikTok last week. When she saw the line at her local polling station, she went straight back home to grab supplies. But not everyone has a Belinda to help them out. And voting could be really difficult for a lot of older people this year. I am Bernice Zaken. And how old are you? Well, I don't like to tell my real age. (laughs) It's, it's, It's up there someplace. (laughs) There might be three digits. (laughs) Bernice is the grandma of one of our co-founders and co-CEOs, Carly Zakin. And she says she's voted in every single election since she became an adult. But this year, that's meant making some big adjustments to her election routine. And having her granddaughter help her out, figuring out which county she lives in, where to send her absentee ballot, and a lot more. And Carly and Bernice are far from the only people going through this together. Molly Krakowski is the Senior Director of Government Affairs at JASA. 
a nonprofit organization helping older adults in New York with everything from legal services to home health care. This year, they're running a special campaign to help senior voters, from hosting webinars to... So we've partnered with um, another community-based organization that reached out to us that has vans to help people get to the polls if that's something that they need assistance with. Krakowski says for a lot of older people, voting is super important, especially because it's not something all of them take for granted. Some people that I talk to, you know, they, they have a memory of not having had the right to vote. So the idea of missing a vote is, is very um, disturbing and upsetting to them. If this has you thinking about your own grandma or elderly neighbor, here's how to help. Step one, check in with your older relatives and learn about their voting plans. Specifically, whether they're registered and whether they're planning to vote by mail or in person. If someone hasn't registered yet, keep in mind, even though it's super close to election day, in some states like Minnesota and Vermont, you can still register to vote absentee. To be safe, election officials say, check your state's election website to see the deadlines. And if grandma's voting by mail this year, maybe call her just because. But also because the rules around mail-in voting can kind of be confusing. There are a few really common mistakes that can lead to mail-in votes being discounted. From specific rules about your signatures to whether or not you need a witness to complete your absentee ballot, which envelope you need to use to send in your ballot, and whether your state requires you pay for your own postage. So that's if your loved one is voting absentee. But what about voting IRL? This is where things get complicated. Is voting in person even safe? Some infectious disease experts say voting in person in 2020 is about as risky as getting groceries. Just mask up, bring sanitizer, and stay socially distanced from other voters in line. But the challenges grandma may face don't end there. The polling station she's gone to for years might have moved because of COVID-related closures. And once she knows where she's supposed to go, then there's the task of getting there. Call them an Uber, schedule it for them, make sure that they have a ride. Once she arrives, there's a whole bunch of considerations besides food and water. If you're somebody who needs to take some sort of a medication, make sure you have it. Plus, if grandma's waiting in line for several hours, it could be important to know where the nearest bathroom is. Sometimes these things are easily found and other times not at all. And especially these days with more limitations on what's open and what restaurants might be open or not open, um, it's a good idea to, to really think it through. Not to mention accessibility issues with the polling place itself. Earlier this month, the AARP warned that while voting sites are legally required to be wheelchair friendly, that doesn't mean they always are which can lead to elderly and less able-bodied voters needing to ask for help accessing a voting booth. All of those factors are worth helping your older relatives plan for, even if you're nervous about getting chewed out for being overbearing. And Krakowski says there's no harm in just checking in. So it's, it's a great opportunity to just say, you know, I'd love to get together for coffee and, and a vote <laughs> um, or, just to, or just to chat or, you know, once you've just been reassured that they feel comfortable with how they're planning to vote. The worst that can happen is somebody says, of course I already registered or of course I already voted. You know, I voted already last week. For more information on how to help older people in your life vote, you can check out specific resources from places like your state's official Board of Election website or the AARP. Before we go today, if you're like us, you're probably in one of two camps. With just a few days to go until the election, 
you might be suffering from serious election fatigue and ready for a break. Or you're completely hooked on election coverage, watching cable news 24-7 or binging The West Wing or Scandal or Veep. If that's you, and if you ever wish you could be a fly on the wall inside the Oval Office, we have a movie recommendation for you. The job of the chief official White House photographer is to make authentic photographs. Photographs break down the idea that these people are somehow different from us. I've got an idea for another picture. <laughs> Did you get that piece? Yeah. If you're as nosy as we are, you might enjoy director Don Porter's new documentary, The Way I See It. It takes a look at the White House's inhabitants through the eyes of photojournalist Pete Souza. Taking photos of presidents was literally Souza's job, from Reagan to Obama. Porter says she hopes that by letting people see that our presidents are humans, people will be motivated to go out and vote. I think we can't lose sight of the fact that the president is, you know, fundamentally still a person and a person who is in good moods and bad moods, um, who has competing demands, like so many of us, who has children and uh, parents and, you know, people who want things from him and everybody wants something from him. Really, what I hope is that people will find something in the images that really speaks to them personally um, and that they will share their feelings and participate in our government and say what they like and say what they don't like. Um, and that is not partisan, you know, that is just like a human response. But if you've already voted and you just need a break from all the 2020 talk, film critic Beyondrea July says there's plenty of ways to disengage. I'm a big fan of going back to your comfort watch and just writing it out. July loves the guaranteed drama-to-happy-ending trajectory that the BBC show Call the Midwife, which is set in London in the 1950s and 60s, frequently serves up. She also likes going back to old favorites like Gilmore Girls and The Good Wife. And she's already figured out how she's going to spend Election Day. This is actually what my plan is for Election Day. Are you ready? I'm going to watch a double dose of Wanda Sykes' comedy specials. If comedy's not your thing, July says there's plenty on offer that's serious without being soul-destroying. One of her favorite movies to come out recently is the 2019 documentary We Are the Radical Monarchs, which we actually covered in a previous episode, about an Oakland alternative to the Girl Scouts. It's really like an hour and a half of, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls talking about what they believe about the world today, and it'll just leave you feeling like, oh, okay, the kids are all right. But even with so many options available, July says what might work best is creating a balance between comfort viewing and something that actually is political. Even though it's hard right now, I do think it's on us to sort of do a blend, right? Like definitely do the comfort viewing, absolutely. But also like, you know, sit and watch the uh, Stacey Abrams documentary on Amazon about voter suppression. It's a hard watch, but it's actually it kind of, again, I left feeling empowered because I just think the truth, the truth makes me feel better. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Alex Carr and Luke Vargas, with additional help from Peter Bonaventure and Kira Long. And I'm your host, Justine Davey. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com. 